Out on the third planet closest to the sun There's a special celebration and it sounds quite fun A jolly old fellow brings toys to everyone On a holiday they call Christmas Now I'm not gonna lie, it makes no sense to me But here's what Earthlings told me About this Christmas mystery Hello, welcome to Q&A Quest episode uh, 335. Your host, Mike Epps. Uh, 500 plus hours of destiny. And with me as always. Flame hero, Jipong, David McBurney, my boy master. And also, yes, Smoking Joe Gamer, <laughs> a.k.a. Joe Hanley, a.k.a. Joey Jojo Jr. Babadoo. Babadook? Hmm. <laughs> the guy who just randomly pops up on Q&A Quest. It's the worst name ever. Always had. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, welcome again. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so, first off, uh, I, I just spotted something. Um, I jumped onto the Steam store. And Grand Blue Fantasy Versus Rising has a free edition, so I'm looking to download that now to see what that includes. But so that did launch today. That is the latest Arc System Works fighting game that I've been excited about. So you two, you can two can fight each other in the free edition on shenanigans. That's what I'm hoping for. I but I don't know. Um, I'm going to see what it allows. What actually? Includes. Yeah, because it's free, quote unquote. I mean, we we don't know what free means anymore, free right? Yeah. What's really free nowadays? Nothing is free. Who is free? Being poor has never been more expensive. Um, this is true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what are we planning? Oh, tell us, tell us. Get a guess. Okay. Well, anyone who tuned in already might have heard the end of my mario wonder rant you know so finally beat that final final level which is bullshit by the way the the tenth part of the level where you're invisible and you don't know where you are so you keep dying anyways um got to the end of the final final level missed the flagpole so i had to beat it again to get the flagpole and that got me the fifth medal and the final badge and it turns out there's a sixth medal that you only get for getting all the standees. And if you know anything about the standees, either you pay 10 purple coins to get a random one, but you could get a duplicate. Or you pay 30 to get one for a specific character that you don't have yet, but you cap out at 999 purple coins. So I spent them all trying to get more standees, and now I gotta go farm some more of them, and I don't even know if it's worth it. But... So, yeah, I'm, I'm, maybe someday I'll be 100% complete in Mario Wonder. We'll see. Um, what else have I been playing? Um, of course, Star Ocean Second Story R, which is just flipping amazing. That was, just, a, that was, a, that was a remark. Maybe the most positive shenanigans we have ever had. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, had a lot of... Another one of those, actually. We had a lot of nice things to say about it, yeah. It, it, um, it forces me to play more of it, so honestly, let's do more of those. Yeah. Also in favor. So there is that. Um, Fire Miner. Also, I don't know I was this, actually I haven't said it on the actual recording part yet, but hi. Yeah. A million of the Ahamkari here 
Oh yeah. No, well, Pew is that's kind of implied, you know. If you was the eternal rhythm. I was gonna say Pew and Fireman are like the only viewers, so the hello is always implied to them. There's other Absolutely. viewers. Absolutely, just don't talk. Oh, well, that's true. They could just be a. Maybe they have crippling social anxiety, like I sometimes do. We've all been. So, um, today was working on uh, trying to edit some footage, and I might just throw it all out because I, a couple weeks ago, I connected the Steam Deck OLED to a capture card using an old USB-C to HDMI cable, and I just wanted to kind of do benchmarks for the new deck. But it's like, okay, first off, all the footage looks terrible because it's supposed to be on a 7-inch screen, not a 27-inch computer monitor or a 49-inch television. Mm. And then it's like, so I'm trying to do, like, benchmarks and stuff, and it's like, I'm like, wait a minute, it's going to run the same as the old one. It's, you know, you're not going to get higher frame rates, really. And um, I don't know, I just wasn't really happy with the footage. And then when I was trying to test out, like, remote play, it, it actually had, like, my IP address on the screen, and it's like, oh, I don't want people to get that. Maybe I don't want people to have this information. So it's going to take some... I'm just debating if I want to go through the whole process of editing it or just delete it. So I have like two hours of footage where I test out games running natively on the system, plus remote play, plus emulation, and it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with any of this. Um, but, you know, still playing a lot of deck OLED and still just trying to test out emulation and other things and see what I can get to run on it. Um, so just dabbling in a bunch of different games, mainly just just long enough to be like, oh, okay, you know, I, I don't want this on the deck anymore. So, like, Arkham Knight, not on the deck anymore. It's like, okay, yeah, it runs it, but the game still kind of sucks. The um, problem is it's still Arkham Knight, no matter what you do. And then playing a little bit of Cyberpunk on deck, and it's like, okay, yeah, this is I like this game, but it's only 40 FPS, even on like medium settings. It's like, all right, I'll just keep playing this on the computer. Um, so yeah, a couple games I deleted off of there. But if, as for emulation, I can tell you it. I can. I now have proof that it does run Wii U emulation with no issues, uh, which is good. And I haven't tested out the PS3 emulation yet. But every other system before that works perfectly. Like I was playing F Zero GX or GT, GT, whatever it is, and on GameCube. And it's like, wow, this runs amazingly on the deck. How about that? So, you know, dabbling in some emulators. And still chipping away at Final Fantasy 16. Chipping away. Um, uh, I should finish that before the end of the year so that I can give my I'd final like verdict. <laughs> yeah, it, it has its flaws. It can be frustrating. It can be monotonous with all the button mashing. But it's like, at this point, I, I do feel I'm... I am kind of emotionally invested in the characters and the story at this point. Right. But at this point, I, I do want to see how the story completes. I do want to see what happens to Clive and Jill. And it's like, all right, I, you know, I, I want to beat the game and get my money's worth and stuff. But yeah, there are times where I'm, I'm just like, like I'm level 22. I just got a slightly better sword and I go to do some side quests, and of course there's a level 21 enemy. I have to stagger him three fucking times before he dies. It's like, they're they're sponges. They have too much there, health. There might as well be two types of enemies in that game. Things that stagger and things that don't. And things that stagger, like, completely... There's just absolutely nothing interesting to do to them. Run through the rounds of 
things that cause stagger as soon as they pop up. Yep. So, chipping away at that a little bit. Um, jumped into Vampire Survivors again because every time I think I beat it, I didn't. There's more stuff to unlock. I rolled credits a long time ago, but they updated the game so that it now shows me which characters I didn't unlock yet and actually tells me how to unlock them. So it's like, oh, okay, well, that, you know, this gives me a reason to go back in. And there's a new, like, adventure mode where, like, there, there's some actual, like, story content and you play remixed levels, but they limit which characters and weapons you have available to make it more challenging. So it, it, it's interesting. Yeah, which it sorely needed to begin with, I would say. But it, it, at least it finally got some structure in this bonus mode. Um, you know, so like in the first adventure, you play as Poe, who starts off with garlic, and his quest is to. He wants to, like, retire happily, but he also wants to amass a huge amount of, of garlic. So. So the final level, they just straight up give you ten garlics, so you can evolve it right away, and then you, and, and it's, it's just it's an easy bonus level. So, so there, there's, but then I had I didn't do all the DLC content either, and there's more characters and stages there, and I unlocked a, a stage where the background just looks like Sonic Three. I'm like, that's hmm. neat. <laughs> I'll play that. Cool. It, um, Get blue balls. <laughs> Well, there's no blue balls, but yeah, there, there's a whole bunch of bats. Just nothing but bats. I do love that the beta version of Sonic 3 actually does say get blue balls. It's regrettable. <laughs> I love it. Oh, man. The blue blur has blue balls. Who would have thought? Um, what else? Uh, just been, you know, reviewing games and putting up my videos of the uh, Holiday Buying Guide 2023. So I did do a stream of Dead Space because I, I got back on Game Pass Ultimate because you can now play the Dead Space remake as part of EA Play and Game Pass Ultimate. So finally going to get to play through that, and I streamed that, and that that's cool. I'd like to finish that game. Um, and going to do you a review. Of... On Twitch.tv slash you can. I didn't mean to plug so early, but, you know, this is what I've been playing, and this not is why well. I've been playing it. Right. Yeah, like and I, said, I don't no. know if... Yeah, and I might not stay on till the end. I might jump off early anyway, so... <laughs> It's fine. So, I did that. What are you huffing about? I'm gasping. Why? Because you're not going to stay on the whole time. Oh, I might. I don't know. It depends on how tired I get or what TBD. my bladder decides to do. So, TBD and TMI. Markedly. So, let's see. So, Vampire Survivors. Pieces. He's going to have to play Dead Space now. You do, yeah. It's on Game Pass Ultimate. You have no excuse. And I got to tell you, the the console version quality mode has good frame rate, and performance mode has good visual quality. So it's mm -hmm. like you can play it either way on Series X. And the PC version doesn't crash every five minutes anymore. Wow! What a, a difference a year makes. I know it's flipping amazing. Um, I did briefly jump back into Baldur's Gate three. I defeated the third goblin leader person and mm -hmm. saved the tieflings and now we're all partying in my camp so i'm like all right let me uh you know i want to get back into that because 
I tried to do a, a stream of that, and it didn't go well. And I'm like, you know, I really think I should play this more before I review it. It's a very long and dense game that requires more yeah. attention to fully grasp. Um, and I'm going to do a review of Sonic Superstars. That'll be a short video. Just, you know, to review it. Because I think I already put a bunch of videos online. Um, Let's create speed bot. I did get Alan Wake 2, briefly played it, so got to get back into that. A um, little bit of Diablo 4 here and there. Um, I was playing Dusk last night. Do you know what that is? Yes. Dusk in the Wind. It's a very good very good song. N no, it's... Um, Dusk in the Wind. I assume you mean the like, style FPS? Yeah, the, the, it's like... It looks like an N64 game, but it kind of plays like Doom and Wolfenstein and stuff. Um, yeah. Actually, that just that just got an HD got update. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, it was. I think they were originally like fans or something, and now they've all just been hired. <laughs> That's awesome when that happens. Um, yeah. So yeah, so that um, so the original game does work fine on deck, and then I also tried out the new HD update, and it runs fine. So that that is fully deck verified. It's a good old school Doom style shooter. I know so the original version of Switch. Yeah, what? Yeah, I know the original version was also. Good. Yeah, it, that's multi platform. Yeah, so. Yeah, that's on everything. And then on Steam, I the HD update is free, which is good. Hmm. Um, I'd imagine that'll make its way to most of the existing. Uh, since it's now kind of official. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, let's see. What else was I doing? Um, I know I mentioned previously that I finally beat Blasphemous 2, but I think it's worth repeating because that's a difficult game. Um, and then I've been meaning to finish story mode in Street Fighter 6, so I jumped on that last night, and I don't know how much further I have to go there. So, that has quite enough. Yeah, I so and I want I think you have to beat it to get the extra costumes for all your characters or something. Or I hope that's all I have to do. Like how do you get costume two for each character? Uh I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Alright, let me see. Because you can buy them but it says right in there can also be earned in story mode. Mm -hmm. Hang on, get. And they also released um, each character's third costume, which you have to buy with. Yeah, them. I really like the third costumes. Well, Ken looks like that weird emo villain from Resident Evil Revelations. <laughs> some of them are really cool. <laughs> yeah, some some of them do look cool. Let me see. Um, that God of War DLC pew. Are you talking about that? roguelike thing they released? Uh, yeah, Valhalla. Oh, no. I didn't the first one yet. I look at it. The oh no is, to unlock Street Fighter Six Outfit 2, you need to reach the maximum bond level with that character in the World Tour single-player mode. Yeah, that's what I figured. There's easy ways to go. That means leveling up the fighter to bond level 100. And you first you have to uh, first you got to find them. I haven't even found all of the characters. Oh. 
Yeah, there's there's ways to grind them relatively quickly because they have like favorite items that you can just give them to grind their bomb level. Oh really? Okay. So maybe I don't have to spend more money after all. And I don't want to get the second outfit for characters I don't like, so Okay. Yeah, you know, you aren't obligated to uh, So I had mentioned previously I did clear the story mode in Mortal Kombat One and it was fine. And I really like Invasions mode, though. That's the new mode where, like, so you don't have the crypt anymore. Now, Invasions mode is kind of almost like a game board, sort of. And you go to each space, and there's a fight. And then you get mm -hmm. items to unlock doors. And, and then you level up your character, so it's got RPG elements. So, yeah, that I was playing that a little bit. So, yeah, just dabbling in a whole bunch of different things over the past few weeks. But mainly just trying to, you know, play and finish and review some of the games I wanted to cover for my um, holiday segment. So you can see all those YouTube videos if you go on there. Um, Smoking Joe Gamer on YouTube, Twitch, etc. So, now it's your turn. What have you been playing? I was going to defer to wheels, but I can go for the mic. It's up to you. Usually I go last. We go wheels. Uh, not got back to Dragon Quest yet. Still recovering emotionally. <laughs> it was a, it's, a, it's a big deal. I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. even though you haven't told me. Yeah. Uh, I can't say anymore because it would involve spoilers. But yeah, uh, we'll get back to that soon. Uh, was refreshing my memory on some SMT5 before doing the backtrack for that. <laughs> Which is still a game I love that does not totally love me back. Yeah. I kind of hope they'll do something like an SMT5 Apocalypse, because I feel like there's a lot of expansion they can do within that SMT. Yeah. I mean, the, the parts that are good are really, really good. Like, really yeah. liked the open world design and the combat system. And, well... When it came to asking who your favorite character was in the game, I couldn't remember anyone, anyone's name at all, so that, I think that says a lot. To be fair, I kind of feel that way about most of the numbered SMT games other I mean, than, like, four piles. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I would agree with that, too. Like, it's not really their jam. They're not character-driven. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like I said, I think would be really interesting to reuse all that effort and assets while giving them a chance to expand on some of the places and has some weaknesses within this. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, well, but yeah, that's. Uh, I recommend people listen to that episode because uh, it's definitely a, a very good game. It's not perfect, but. If you're interested in mainline SMT, then it's kind of the easiest to access. Cause, yeah, I uh, mean, you can still probably get a physical copy without breaking yeah. your back at this point. I mean, Nocturne is on Switch as well, but that one is... Uh, uh, unless you have a good appetite for like a PS2 game, I'm not sure I would recommend anyone start with that game. Appetite for Destruction. Yeah. Uh, play some Mario and Rabbids a little bit. That game rolls. Please, please buy a copy. I want another one. 
Um, the first or second one? The second one. Sparks of Hope? Yeah, okay. See what else I've been playing, and I gotta talk about Destiny because everyone's sick of me talking about Destiny. Um, that's about it as far as RPGs go. Um, still making my way through Yokai Watch 3, which is fun and hilarious. Um, Maybe you'll be done by the time they announce the next one. Maybe. Um. Oh, and you might have seen my messages in Discord, but I regret to inform you that, yeah, it took me about 40 hours to beat Horizon Forbidden West. Ugh. I liked it, and I thought it was worth getting to the end, but I just totally ran out of steam. I, I got burned out while trying to play Burning Shores. Uh. I, I like the story. I just, the, the, the gameplay it's is just ass. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, like the first game, I've talked about this a lot. But the first game feels like an old game with some really good ideas that could have turned into a promising franchise, and they changed almost nothing. So, great. Yep. Really excited for when Horizon Three comes out because I can't wait to see what game completely overshadows it. Yeah. Yeah, it happens every year, huh? Every every yeah, time they put one out. Time. <laughs> First time it was Breath of the Wild, second time it was Elden Ring. God only knows what it'll be third time. Metroid Prime 4, maybe? Oh. <laughs> no, no, that'll be up before Horizon. Well, actually, on that note, do you think they'll just keep Prime 4 as a launch title for the next console at this point? I think it'll probably be a dual release. Okay. I'd be happy with that. So, Wheels, tell us more about Destiny. <laughs> no, no, no! <laughs> uh, Dude, is it time for me to pop in? Or? <laughs> um, I think... I feel like I have something else to... Um, but yeah, I did want to talk about a non-game that will probably make me go back to playing some Nino Kuni is I saw The Boy and the Heron. Oh, Boy and the Heron. This past weekend, which was another absolutely wonderful... Studio Ghibli movie, which I recommend everyone go see. For Would you believe Hayao Miyazaki is currently working on another film? Yes. <laughs> Man is as serious about retirement as Terry Funk was. Yes. <laughs> uh, but this one will... it was very good, very interesting. Um, probably my eldest son came with us and saw it, and I think some of the more serious themes probably went over his head, but still only enjoyable I mean, by kids. Uh, but it's a very good movie. Let me tell you about not expecting the kind of violence I was I was in for when I watched Princess Mononoke as a ten-year-old. Oh man, oof! Oh, Jeez. That one, that one. I was, I was just, I was not prepared. Loved it. Wasn't prepared. Uh, my son was also not prepared to speak. To actually, took him to see that in the theaters, but <laughs> he was fine. Yeah, no, he's, like it's, it's he's not fine. It was nightmare. Not as jarring as the time I, I was like, "Hey, kids, let's watch this Ninja Turtles Batman animated movie." No, you fucking fools! And then about halfway through, someone gets decapitated. I'm just like, "Oh, 
Jesus fuck. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, Shredder <laughs> just throws... Shredder just straight up murders people left and right. He throws ninja stars right at their foreheads. Yeah. So. That movie rules, by the way. Well, speaking of, of movies, I did watch that uh, that new Death Clock movie, and I thought it was fine. What's the Death um, Metalocalypse. After a 10-year hiatus, they decided to make a new movie that... It's an epilogue to the series, and it's no. I, I it was what I wanted. It was what I expected. It was just heavy metal, and right. You know, obviously, it's not for people who don't like Metalocalypse. You know, there's a very specific targeted well, so they audience. Don't have risk of watching, so yeah, no, I think it was straight to DVD, anyways. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. It's very um, much one of those. It's like it's nice that it happened. It's nice that they could get a nice, a proper conclusion. Yeah. And, and, then, and then, like, I don't, I don't think people realize, like, Brendan Small is an amazing guitar player. Like, he can do sweet oh, picking. Yeah, no, he can do insane stuff that, that I can't do. I've been playing guitar for 20 years. I can't play like him. It's, it's, it's impossible. <laughs> I'm just glad Aquatine is back. Um, oh, I got to watch that one, too. Oh, god damn it. Yeah, there's a movie and just a new episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, really? Oh man! What's that? Where, where can we watch the new episodes? Yeah, where can we watch them though? HBO Max. HBO Max. Yeah, they are on Max. Oh! All right. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I do love that they they did a new intro for it. They they have to, and it's it's the classic intro except that they made all of them animate. Way, way more, which is terrifying looking. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. characters are not meant to animate. No. But uh, the only other change that they made was that at the end, uh, instead of saying, because uh, we are the Aqua Teens, make the homies stay home, make the girls, girlies want to scream, it's because we are the Aqua Teens, make the girlies stay home, make the homies want to scream. <laughs> Very important. Fine distinctions. But yeah, I'm just glad Aquatine's back. I, I can just watch new Aquatine forever, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, everyone, go play the PS2 Aquatine video game that is an homage to the Atari 7800 game Ninja Golf. Speaking or of golf, speaking of sequel, PUS, is anyone, or no, that's not PUS Fireminer. Anyone excited for Beverly Hill Cop 4? I can scarcely believe uh... I didn't watch one, two, or three, so I have no opinion. <laughs> I, I scarcely believe it's real. That's all. Uh, Boah. Okay. Uh, I want to briefly hit what I've been playing since I've been playing at least one thing that I've been really enjoying. Two things, actually. Alternately. Uh, oh, that that I've reminds playing... me. I've also been playing uh, uh, the the previous game in the thing you've been playing. Continue. So I've been playing uh, Like a Dragon Gaiden, Man Who Erased His Name. Thanks again, Leos. You're welcome. Uh, absolutely. Uh, have, having a wonderful time with that. Uh, very much a, a Gaiden sort of game, but it's fun to just run around and beat things up. I think Agent is probably the best alternate fighting style they've come up with for Kiryu. Like, 
His problem in Zero and Kiwami is that his other fighting styles are kind of just his normal fighting style, but split into three other... split into three. Uh, so it, it feels better in this to have his regular fighting style and another fighting style that doesn't function like his other one. It has, like, these weird gadgets that you can do even Spider-Man things around, you can do weird shit. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and it's kind of fun to have a game that is thus far mostly in Sotenbody, which is the uh, secondary location. Uh, it's, it's the location that Majima had in Yakuza 0. It was the second location in Yakuza 2. Uh, it shows up late in Like a Dragon, but it's it's one of the it's one of the more prominent recurring places. But it's always a secondary location, so it's interesting to have one that seems to be primarily in Sotenbody, uh, which is, is is a great little location. Has a lot. It packs a lot of uh, character within a small uh, a smaller footprint than something like Yokohama from Like a Dragon. Uh, and it also kind of, by necessity, has to mostly take place in Sotenbori because uh, the game is kind of concurrent with Yakuza Like a Dragon. Hmm. So, uh, by, by virtue of that, since Ichiban and Kiryu are not constantly running into each other, they kind of have to be just in different parts of Japan. But, yeah, I've been, I've been having a great time with that. Um, doesn't seem super long, which is probably for the best because Infinite Wealth comes out very soon. But it's it's short and sweet, and I'm excited to get through that and be prepared for Infinite Wealth in January. Uh, a, a game that would probably be threatening for an early game of the year contender if it weren't for the fact that it's brutally followed up a month later by Final Fantasy VII. Um, that is, uh, that's going to be... It's going to be tough for anything to unseat that. I'm going to just put my bet down there. Um, but other than that, I've also been playing uh, Tengai Makio Jiraiya, which I've been having I've been having a great time with. Uh, this is a special shout-out to friend of the show, Platy M3. Uh, hey, this is very, like, 8-bit Dragon Quest-y if you feel like playing something like that. It's got a, it's got a lot of it's, it's very charming, and it's got that sort of uh, simple structure that gives it a lot of... But it, it has its own flavor. I recommend it for anyone in general that likes 8-bit Dragon Quest-style games. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's loosely, loosely based on the... Uh, on the... the old Japanese story tale of Gallant Jiraiya, which... That's been uh, fun to try to find any sort of useful English documentation in, uh, because it is a novel written in like 1800 that was then radically rewritten like 30 years later, and it's hard to find a lot of information on either version. Hmm. Uh, the radically rewritten version, some some popular version of it has been translated by a guy who was uh, brought into, like a, a guy who spoke English who was brought to Japan in the 1800s to essentially act as like a fucking school superintendent. <laughs> but, uh, 
there's there's not a lot of English. Uh, I, I don't, as far as I can tell, there don't seem to be a lot of English translations of various versions of it. And uh, two of its most famous characters don't seem to exist in the original novel. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the tale of Jiraiya has three characters who have sort of entered into like the popular lexicon in Japan, they'll just show up in other things. Uh, English speakers would most notably know them because they showed up in Naruto. Uh, they're, they're key players in that uh, manga because the characters of Jiraiya, Tsunade, and Orochimaru are originally from this old bit of... this old novel-slash-folklore. Uh, but... It's, it's, I've been trying to keep track of a particular notion because I get the sense that, that, that this version of the Tale of Dryad influenced the only version within the prominence, which is to say the version that like mutated into part of the story of Naruto because the version of Tsunade that appears in Tengai Makyo is rather surprisingly, given that it's an RPG from like 1988, uh, has the uh, heroine Tsunade as the physical attacker. She has no access to magic and just hits like a truck. And that's, that's unusual for an RPG of that era. And I also can't find any information about that being a common element of older versions of the story. Hmm. It seems like something that was invented for this version. <laughs> but it also mysteriously finds its way into that very popular manga like ten years later. So that's weird. Wonder what happened. Hello! But yeah. Hello. Tam. But yeah, so I've been... So yeah, I'm probably like I'm probably like eight or so hours into Tengai Makyo. And the other thing that's been wild to me is that this seems like a really long game. Given its vintage. Uh because I'm like eight or so hours in. I don't have I only have two of the three proper party members. And I have killed three out of thirteen major bosses. And it's just like, man, this is, for, for an, essentially an 8-bit RPG, this is really long. Weirdly long. <laughs> but I've been, I've been enjoying it, and it has a really weird, like, just a weird sense of humor that would get seemingly expanded on in uh, Manjimaru and Poon Kamukiden. Uh, so yeah, uh, that, that finally has a translation I would urge anyone who likes... Uh, weird 8-bit style RPGs in the style of, like, the original Dragon Quest. Please go try it, it's very good. <laughs> also, to the fan translators, thank you for making this, but also please please uh, move on to Manjimoto, because <laughs> that is a game I'm very curious about. It is the best-selling PC engine game in Japan. It was a really, really big hit, uh, and by all accounts, it's uh, significantly better than the first game, which I am quite taken with at this moment. Uh, so, I would very much like to see an English translation of 
Tango Makio Manjimanu. Ugh. Oh. Yeah, that's what I've been playing. Damn, what have you been up to? He's dead. No, I'm, I'm driving. I figure out oh, where okay. to set my volume so it doesn't bleed into the uh, recording. Hmm. If it does, I don't know if it does on my new car or not. No. It's mostly just that you're coming in kind of like inconsistently. Like that's what makes it. Yeah. Uh, also, I was uh, merging onto the highway, so. Um, so as far as what I've been playing, uh, I finished up Final Fantasy V last week, now really slowly going through Final Fantasy VI from the 20th plus time. Yay, Final Fantasy VI. On the Switch. Final Fantasy VI. <laughs> so, uh, th and then, uh, I am working my way very, very slowly through the Tales of Arise DLC. Uh, for those who call my Tuesday stream, I spent two hours doing side quests. Hmm. Good lord. And I am more. And what's sad is I'm doing the side quests, and I am the main plot. It does seem mm. sad, and maybe not good. I don't, don't get me wrong, the main plot's not bad, but it's not as good, like, Tales of Arise, I felt, wrapped up really nicely. Um, and part, how spoilerly am I allowed to be? Not very, cause... Okay, I'm double checking, so. Um, so one of the set of side quests is working towards the event that happens during the end of credits of Tales of the Rise. Hmm. Which I'm finding really amusing and really great. And there's like character quests to expand on their personalities and how they're dealing with the uh, the events that happened at the end of the game. So all that's great. The main plot... I... I, I mean, I'm glad it's DLC and it's not another situation with Zillia 2. I'll put yeah, it that actually. way. I always forget Celia 2 exists. Probably better. At least I don't have to try and raise money. I mean, to be honest, I kind of forget Zillia 1 exists. I love Zillia 1. Shut up. Found it to be right middle of the road. I like the characters in Zillia 1. I mean, the game's not bad, but I, I really love the characters. See, I, I, I play Tales more for the characters than I do for the stories anymore. Yeah, I just didn't find... I wasn't that taken with those either. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I've been also playing, of course, DK Goddess of Victory because the winter event is going on right now. That's my gotcha update of the week. Hmm. Uh, I feel like I should bring up uh, since a friend of mine just uh, blasted it at me that they announced the next Trails game. Did they? Yeah, Kaino Kiseki. Trails of something. Is, uh, I'm, 
Well, we knew it was going to be happening. Yeah, it was just interesting that they announced it. Other than that, I probably not played against this. The, you know, the, those three things, I probably haven't been playing just because I've been spending most of my time reading light novels. Hmm. Not Gaijin, sadly. Someday, one day. So. Uh, yeah. Uh. The. There's probably some news we should probably want to hit. Uh, E3 is dead! It was already dead. Well, I mean, officially dead, though. They have taken it off life. Yes. Wait, um, what? Until people get nostalgic oh, and sure. someone makes some kind of revival. Oh yeah, we, yes, we will get another E3. Like, um, the E3 has officially been... Uh, oh, E3. I thought you said East 3, and I'm like, what? No. <laughs> They've deleted that from history, tragically. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. All right. E3 is yeah, no, dead so... as vinyl. Wait a minute. Fuck. I have vinyl. It doesn't work anymore. No, it doesn't, because they came back, so... baby. A vinyl flooring has been a thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh. uh... More interesting to me, uh, as someone who is fascinated by weird industry shakeups, uh, Naughty Dog came out and admitted that The Last of Us multiplayer game is dead now. Yeah, Jason Schreier. Uh, yeah, he 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 uh, he uh, linked it. Although he'd been talking about its troubled development for a while, but they they admitted it in a public press release on the website, but. Uh, yeah, so Naughty Dog had been making the Last of Us live service multiplayer game for like four years and just finally uh, like cancelled it with the reasoning, if we made this it would have to be the only thing and Wow, it's almost like would... making live service games is hard, Naughty Dog it's, also, it's one of those things, it's like, it's not even that it's making it as hard, it's the acknowledgement that once you finish it, you're not done. Your team doesn't suddenly, like, the team that has to keep making it doesn't shrink. The continuous support takes the entire studio, and so they wouldn't be able to make single player. And if the single player games they're going to make are The Last of Us Part 3, I kind of wish they wouldn't, but at the same time, business-wise, it's probably for the best if they're making The Last of Us Part 3 instead of The Last of Us Multiple. Or, or even just another game. They... Yeah, I would. I would no. like it if they would make an unrelated video game. I don't think they will, but I don't. But I would like that better. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like I, I have an analogy with with a different type of what is really a uh, live service game, but I'm working in my head, it's not coming through soon as well. Um, I think a little bit of interesting news you provide, David. Someone linked this on the RPG Discord. Is there are now PC88 games on the Switch on the Mixer? Yeah, no, I've been following that for months. Uh, Xanadu is the is the most interesting one for all my Falcomaniacs out there. Uh, uh, Xanadu, aka Dragon Slayer 2, one of the earliest uh, PC88 Falcom games. Brutally hard. I, I will one day purchase it. 
I do not have any illusions I will ever finish it. But yeah, Project Egg, which is a subscription service that has existed for a decade and a half in Japan as a way to allow people to emulate old PC-88 games officially. You can play a lot of really interesting, uh, weird old shit like uh, The Scheme or uh, Xanadu, some of the old Falcom games, like uh, that sort of stuff. Uh, they, they've started doing something called Egg Console, and that is just like, here is a re-release of a specific game for a nominal fee. And I'm all for it because, uh, it, you know, they're, they're mostly, I think, sticking to games that are readily uh, playable without Japanese knowledge. I believe the only Japanese text in Xanadu is the ending, which no one's going to actually reach, so... <laughs> For all intents and purposes, it has no, it has no Japanese text. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's it's really neat that that is that that is getting an official English release. Uh, there has never been any version of the original Xanadu that was recognizable that saw an English an official uh, North American release. Uh, the the closest thing you could get was Fuzzanadu, which if you've seen the original Xanadu and you've seen Fuzzanadu, you understand those are essentially unrelated videos. Um, we got Xanadu next. That was nice. Uh, that's a great game. We got uh, Tokyo Xanadu. That's essentially an unrelated game, but it's pretty neat. But this is the first release of original Xanadu. There's still a bazillion like weird offshoots of Xanadu that we've never gotten. Revival Xanadu, Memorial Xanadu, Xanadu Scenario 2. Uh, none of those we've ever gotten. We probably won't ever, but it's nice that we got any of it because, again, it's, it's an extremely influential, extremely early action RPG in Japan. Uh, the first Dragon Slayer would be nice to see. I could see that maybe someday happening, but uh, let's see. Uh, Project Egg. Um... Project Egg is a is a nice thing to exist, and it's nice to see them continue to attempt to expand it to some extent in English because those weird old Japanese PC games just have zero footprint in in English. Uh, if you want to understand a bit more about why uh, the original Xanadu is a deeply unfriendly game that you'll never finish, uh, I would recommend. Uh, looking up a YouTube channel called Basement Brothers. They do a lot of reviews of old PC-88 and PC-98 games, and they have a video on uh, the original Xanadu that sort of goes through the entire game and sort of explains all of the weird quirks about how it functions that make it uh, uniquely unsuitable for normal human beings. Uh, but, yeah. Um, Xanadu. Nope, it's gone. Whatever it was, it's gone. Um, okay. Xanadu. Uh, Xanadu. Don't. Oh. Um, oh. Well played. Um, I, so I can. No man can say. So I can tell you now. Uh, so Grand Blue Fantasy versus Rising Free Edition. You can play the first chapter of story mode. You can play arcade mode versus mode. I think you can play online too as four characters. That's it. That's more than I expected. I was expecting two. 
Can you just yeah, buy basically, more characters, or do you have to buy the full version to get anything? You like you have to buy the full version. So it's basically just a demo. It says free edition. It's, it's a demo, a demo that you can play on. Yeah. <laughs> so there's four characters you can play as, and uh, it's, but it's fifty bucks to buy the game, and then you get all the characters. But you can't buy characters individually. Um, I did probably get some, for the best. You would probably find yeah. that it worked out to be way more expensive. <laughs> It, it would have been, yeah. If, if we look back on Killer Instinct, which just got an update that doesn't do anything that I can discern. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Remember that when that came out, it was like, oh, you get Jago. Well, what about everybody else? Well, you got to buy them. You get, and I Jago. The, you get Jago. I bought the Combo Breaker pack, and then it still wanted the disc in the drive, even though it had to download everything. Oh, well. Uh, what a game, what a game. But that just got updated, so it's now X and S optimized, but when I played it, I'm like, I don't see a difference. Maybe they just upscaled resolution a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I'd assume that it just runs in to some extent. Yeah, that, are, that is what Dave said. It just runs better. Yeah. So. Uh, Not even, like, upscaled or anything. Just runs better on the systems. Good. Hooray! So, the new Grand Blue Fantasy, games, um... Maybe? I did get some rupees, and I was able to buy some extra character colors for the ones that were out. Well, I, actually, for anybody, but it's like, well, I'm not going to buy it for a character I don't have yet. So, yeah, I definitely want to pick that up at some point, but it, you know, it's good that this uh, trial version at least gives you a couple characters to, to try out. So, yep. Okay. Imagine is it a fighting game or is it an RPG? Yes. Fighting game. It, Yes. Uh, no, it's Grand Blue Fantasy Versus Rising. So it's the sequel to Grand Blue Fantasy Versus. It includes all the DLC characters from the previous game, plus has a new story content, and it does have like an RPG story mode that you can play a little bit. Um, but there's a separate Grand Blue Fantasy game that is just a full-on action RPG in the works. So, okay, okay. I, I knew there was a Grand Blue, uh, Grand Blue Fantasy RPG in the works. I just... Wasn't sure if this was it or if it was something else. Thank you. Re Relink, yeah, Relink is the thing you're thinking of. I don't trust that game to be anything at this stage because that game has been in development for like seven years. I have no idea what they've been doing. Oh, sorry, I dropped uh, dropped something. Sorry. I think they've been changing. I think it changed developers too, didn't it? It, it did. Was, originally, it was developed from Platinum, from Platinum Games until 2019. At that point, it had been development for like three years. Yes, it was platinum. Now I was interested, it, and then it wasn't, and I lost interest. Yeah, now it's now it's being internally developed by Psy Games. I, it has been that way for like four years. I have no idea what happened. And don't hey. trust Psy Games themselves to make it. Remember Scalebound? Yes, yes, yes I do. That looks so neat. Form? That one, that one died apparently because of like technical challenges about what they were attempting to do. That kind of outskirts no. the. My my personal favorite thing about Scalebound is that they originally announced it like in 2005 or 2006 because it was still a baby, and then we heard nothing about it for like a good four or five years, and then they showed it again at a, new, at a different E3, like it was a brand new game, and everyone's like, oh, this is a brand new game, and I'm like one of the only people who's like, no, they announced this like back in 2005, and everyone forgot about it. To be fair, Platinum didn't exist in 
Oh, it looks like there's also some kind of Square Enix sale on Steam, although we, you know, we just yeah, had the autumn sale and we've got another holiday sale coming up, so... Yeah, if you want to get FF7 integrate, it usually doesn't go below 15... It usually doesn't go below 50% off anyway, so that's basically the only thing I could recommend. Yeah. Um, yeah Square Enix is stingy. Uh, well, they know what they can. They know what they can sell. Um, yeah, and, and the stuff they can't just goes right to Game Pass and Plus. And hey, Undergrade runs great on deck. Uh, surprising. Uh, what's that? I said surprising. Not really. I mean, it's PS4 games. Uh, most PS4 style, most PS4 era games are on fire. Let's see. 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 Let's it's not coming to me, so... Uh, is there anything... I, I can't look at the chat because I... There's the whole Days Gone fiasco going on! Days gone. No, you're thinking of the last day, and... I the last day! Care. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a game I'd never heard of until I heard controversy around it, and I don't care. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can sum it up with one simple sentence. They released an early access game, charging like full money for it. People were buying it, finding out the game was nothing like they previewed and saying it sucked, and then the company closed up shop, went bankrupt, and then changed their name at the same time. Yeah, like I said, I, I've ne until people started saying what happened to this game, all I could say is like, I've never heard of this and I don't know what, what you're talking about, and that's still kind of the case. Yeah. Uh, and now nobody gets. Yeah, well, actually, no. A bunch of people got Steam refunds already, though, which is good. Yeah, like they're like, and this is like beyond the normal Steam refund timeframe stuff. Like some people had like eight hours into it and getting refunds because of the fact that the company basically pulled a lot of shady crap. Yep. Yeah, I just so, it, it, to to me this kind of thing seems like it happens once a month, and I. Like every time it's referencing something I've never fucking heard of, so I'm just sort of skating. I like uh, my streamer friend Rosar's take where he uh, he was like, Yeah, I was kind of following this, but man, that studio is shady as heck because uh, they've done, they, it, when it started coming out that they, they were doing this, he was like, Yeah, well, they did that shit before with a different game, so I'm not surprised. So I was like, Oh. Yeah. Like I said, I don't I've never heard of them. I, I don't, yeah, so I don't, I don't, know don't have anything. What the game was, or their previous company name, but yeah, this is a company that like people need to just blacklist. Uh, yeah. Um, what else? Can you look at the chat and see if there's any questions? Uh, yes. uh, buh, 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 buh. Fate Extra CC on the PC. Got a new translation, but I gave up on Fate a long time ago. So I'm mainly playing the PS2. Oh, yeah, Fate. I recently got modded to have dual analog control. Wait. 
Didn't that already have an official translation? No, no not CC. Extra did. Fate. Fate. Okay, I, I would have. Fate extra did. CC didn't. Fate's story is a pile of trash. Who cares? <laughs> um, wow. Tell me how you really feel. I really feel I have been exposed to more fate than I have ever cared to. And I don't understand the people that keep exposing it to me. Uh, and Final Farmer says, for some reason, the PSP Soul Calibur is on PS Plus now. Does that surprise me? Yeah, they they keep throwing that on there because they don't want to write an actual PS3 emulator. So they keep throwing PS3 games that were badly ported to PSP and shoving those on PS Plus because that's their idea of like, here's a PS Plus classic to justify PS Plus Premium. Fuck that service. He also says, who's even excited for an open-world zombie MMO in this day and age? Nobody. I, it's, it's Probably more people. Uh, that could be describing... A lot of people. Than be. More people than should be, but I can't imagine how they're not sated by the 50 of them that already exist. <laughs> There's some good ones out there, though. I know, but at the point, like, how many zombie MMOs do you need? So, Dave, I'm, I'm there. I, I forget his name, but the guy, the artist who creates Evil Inc., yeah, the webcomic Evil Inc., he once said back in the mid 2000s, again, while I was in the Navy, I read, I read this boss setting past an ID board, is there are people in this world with the zombie gene. He is, he is not one of those people, and therefore anything with zombies. He just does not care. I but mean, I play plenty of zombie things. I love plenty of zombie media. Do not assume that that is not the case. I don't need a dozen... I don't think a human being can sustain the number of zombie MMOs that already exist. I didn't even know there was one. AZ. <sighs> <sighs> Moving on. I thought DayZ was a scam. I don't know. I didn't even know that was an MMO. You can say that about everything. Uh, let's see. Back didn't in... somebody say he was going to rant about some kind no, of... No, no, we have a fire miner question first. Back in the 80s and... Oh, God. You chatted and now it's scrolled out of my view. God damn it. Back in the 80s and 90s, just how much variety of games... Uh, fuck games that you play when you have to rent a lot of games it encourage you to take risk recently talked to a friend who built and refurbished pc for a living and one thing he said caught my attention about 90 percent of customers mostly teenagers and young adults play almost exclusively fortnite league of legends or minecraft so low to end pc with affordable price worth selling like hotcakes i mean yeah i mean uh, on some level i would probably i Going to rental stores, I probably played games I wouldn't have otherwise. It's like, well, I rented everything else. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you think about something like Fortnite now is perfect for a kid because it's a, it's now you don't have to uh, you don't have to ask a, your parents if you can rent something. That and it's like now a non-terrible version of Roblox. There's a bunch of different games you can play in one space. <laughs> Never have to leave the including uh, a rhythm game developed by Harmonix. Yeah, because they got eaten. That was really weird. Yeah. And, uh...
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That 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 doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, people uh, people those, play the games they can afford. Yeah, and those games are really good for kids. They're just there's a ton of things you can do. You can just lose yourself in that. And I, I know personally because I play Fortnite, although just battle royale mostly, and I've played a ton of Minecraft. Like. Back in the day, I played it, and like, I'm the right age to have played a shit ton of Flash games on the internet back in the early 2000s, because those were free. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but also in the 80s and 90s, I mean, how much variety could there be? Because, like, 90% of games were platformers at the time, you know what I mean? Uh, um, not, not if you were being, not if you were coming through the weird rental stores. That's where you yeah, got the well, weird shit. Yeah, but so I just remember being a young kid and like, yeah, you know what, you would, oh look, a Bugs Bunny game, and it ended up being Bugs Bunny's Crazy Castle, it's like, oh fuck no, um, but then Bugs Bunny's Birthday Blowout was good, so typically when I was a kid it was like, oh I recognize this character from TV, I want to rent that game, you know, um, or oh Mario, Zelda, oh, oh bad dudes, they look cool, I want to rent that, that sort of thing, um, for me, what ended up happening is that I would run, like, the rental stores wouldn't get every new release, but they would get a random smattering, and I would run the run out of things to rent that I recognized, and that's when I would start renting things that were weird, or had weird names, like Planoa. <laughs> yeah. Well, then when I got older and we went to Blockbuster, I remember there, you would try to rent the popular games and they'd be out of stock. You know, like every single one of those wrestling games, like WrestleMania 2000, and it was like, oh no, they're like, we don't, we don't have it. You have to rent something else, you know. And then you would just pick something stupid, like Daikatana, or. Oh, that's always <laughs> I rented Daikatana. It was like, oh, what the fuck? I couldn't beat the first level. I wish that I had. <laughs> so, I don't know. I just, I don't know how much variety in games there really was. Now that I'm thinking about it, I just. I remember, man, a lot of interchangeable oh, platforming games and top-down games and fighting games. There was plenty if you knew where to look. Just like yeah. there always was. So then, um, something about staples of internet cafe. I never went to an internet cafe. I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, I can't. I can't look at the chat at the moment. Sadly, it's so. like a hero thing. Oh, and then something about is it premature to declare Counter-Strike 2 a failure and, and all I said was you know it was just an update similar to Overwatch 2 it wasn't really a sequel I wouldn't call it a failure because people are downloading and playing it like Counter-Strike fans were never not going to play it um, but yeah, I think it's just like, a lazy trend and I think it's dumb marketing I, have, I hate to have to do this but it is not an update like Overwatch 2 Unless they'd replaced oh. the original game. I think it did, because it was... It, like, what it's Counter-Strike 2 to is CSGO, and I think it did replace CSGO. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's a that's a dumb way to do a major update to a game, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm kind of sick of that entire idea of, like, this is... this We've made an update to the old game. Now it is the new game. It, it just produce, it produces bad expectations. Yeah, yeah there might have been a slight graphical update like I don't know better ambient occlusion or something I don't know 
yeah, yeah I, it, I have in, no way of... it's in my Steam library because the old one was so it just automatically went to my library and it's free and I total playtime 93 minutes from 2015 yeah so I, I didn't care for it yeah, I, I would have no way of knowing whether it's a success or not because like if you had asked me, I would have said, oh, CSGO probably wasn't that big of a success. I don't think about it much. And it's like, oh, no, it was huge. It was huge for years and years and years. So it's one of those yeah. things like I don't trust my like the, the ecosystem that plays things like CSGO is so outside of my ability to like it's just it might as well be a different planet. Uh, yeah. I and then they want like you to pay like fifteen dollars for prime status to play with other prime status players and receive prime exclusive blah, souvenir blah blah blah, blah. I don't care uh, what I would say is like I dislike it for being essentially a weird casino with extra steps for children yes but uh, that's that's you know something I was always going to take issue with it so yeah, and I've seen some of those, like, some people make their own weapon skins and then sell them for, like, hundreds of dollars on the Steam community market. It's like, what? Yeah, there's, there's a whole black CSGO gun skins. I don't even have words to describe it. It's grotesque. And there's, yeah, but just go, you go to the Steam market and just on the main page you're seeing these, like, Freaking Counter Strike Two loot boxes ranging from a dollar to I don't know, and then there's something selling for twenty dollars. It's like what the fuck? Yeah. Hate it. This whole video game thing. Yeah. Plot machines. Yeah. This this ways to dress up plot machines. Um, yeah. Anything else we want to hit in the chat? Uh, I don't know. Did Wheels die? No, Wheels is busy. Wheels died, no. Well, I thought somebody was going to rant about the uh, widescreen hack of Link's Awakening or something. Didn't you say you were going to talk about that? Yeah, I was going to do that, but then Wheels told me not to, so... Oh, no, I didn't. Okay. I just wanted... I didn't... I saw a Firebrand's yeah. question, and I wanted to make sure we got to that. Yeah, and I wasn't trying uh, to troll you on Discord. I was just... I was trying to... Yeah, no. I, 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 I thought were, it was a perfectly mature, respectful debate. Yeah, I thought it was cool. Yeah, no. I, yeah, I could tell you were arguing. I wasn't gonna tear into you. Um, yeah. This is this is more like me. I, I'm not arguing against any individual person playing a game the way they want to. I'm more arguing against a sickness in the way that people interact with old content. Uh huh. Which is just this this notion that an old game can't just be old and function like an old game it needs like it needs to be fixed okay and yeah i i, I don't mean, see it that way okay yeah i don't yeah, see it just, as you know it's just a common malady like you'll you'll get people that like when they see something get re-released that just plays like it is instead of being like a gussied up remake it's like why didn't they remake it and it's like I, i'd like to play the old version sometimes that yeah. would be nice yeah. uh Sure. Yeah. In this case, what 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 sprung this up was seeing the uh, this this hack of Link's Awakening that takes out all of the screen transitions and makes the game widescreen and makes it so that uh, you can actually zoom it out 
to uh, to fill your computer monitor, which is a mildly interesting experiment that I then immediately saw people call as like, oh, this is the way to play the game because it frees it from its technical limitations. And it's like its technical limitations informed the game that it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So like yeah, I was I was arguing against something very specific. I did not mean to tear anything you were. Yeah, uh, no, I, and I didn't I didn't think that you were, and that's and in the end, I yeah. had said I can still respect your desire for preservation, and and yeah, yeah, so I just I like to play games in sixteen by nine, even though it stretches things out. I don't like having the margins on the side, but at the at the same time, it's like yeah, like I think everyone should be able to play old games the way they want to play them, and I don't feel any need to hack all those old games yeah. unless it's like unless it's like a randomizer then then yeah no that that shit's cool but yeah, no, you know yeah that's that's making it a complete yeah like, yeah if, if i play an old game with like that stretching enabled i am fully understanding that it's not going to look perfect well, the, 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 there are two different there are two different concerns here because you, you say stretching which is one thing because what stretching is doing is that it's making the pixels an uneven number, an uneven shape, an uneven yeah. integer uh, scaling, uneven integer scaling. Uh, with uh, what, what this is doing, and what I've seen people argue is is quote unquote correct. Because uh, because like usually I've seen people that are like oh, I, I don't I prefer the uneven scaling to uh, of the original artwork to the black. And like I don't agree, but I understand. Um, but there's an, another thing that like people who do care about the scaling of the original artwork uh, will sometimes do, where like through anamorphic widescreen, in the sense of instead of there being instead of stretching the image to fill the the what they'll do is is more like the Sonic Origins thing, where you've actually zoomed out so you see more of the screen. And those are two different things, just to be clear. And the thing about zooming out so you see more of the screen is that uh, it's 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 much the same way that like when uh, when when you first saw movies on on DVD, you would usually you would often see two different versions of the film made available. You had the the widescreen 16 million version that mostly matched the theater aspect of the machine that was generally uh, seen by purists as the, as, as the correct one. And you had the, uh, a phrase you will not hear much anymore, pan and scan version, which for four by three screens would zoom into a part of the screen and crop out everything else. And there was you know, rightly, uh, a huge uh, pushback from people who care strongly about film that you should not pan and scan these. You should not be zooming in because you've essentially reframed every shot in the film. You've essentially uh, haphazardly redirected the entire film yeah. by cropping out huge portions of the frame and scene. And I would argue that when you take an old game and you zoom everything out so you can fill out the screen but ultimately show more of the image, you've, you've kind of done the same thing. Because the, the art assets were designed to be seen 
in certain contexts they were meant to have certain uh they, they were meant to have certain proportions compared to each other and so what you see when you do something like that to say link's awakening which is the thing that uh, catalyzed this is you zoom out so much of the illusion of the game dies like almost instantaneously it's like you can uh, you, you've got the obvious thing where it's like you've killed a boss and so on the main screen you can see uh, the story scene that's supposed to be playing out is playing uh, right where Link is. And then for some reason over in the corner you can see a couple of Octrox just sort of wandering around and it's it's distracting from the core scene. And that's like just obviously not correct but there's other things that like more uh, like that are less nonsensically impractical. Uh, of like, when you zoom out, Koholand Island, that is supposed to feel vast and like a huge adventure, you, you sort of realize that it's a trick. There's, it's not actually a very large area. As much as it feels like that when you're spring transitioning from place to place, that makes the world feel larger. Or mm -hmm. When you go to essentially the game's equivalent of the Lost Woods that feels uh, ominous and foreboding, it doesn't work anymore because you can still see part. You can see areas where it it it's just gone like the, that because it's the only place that looks like that. And you can still see the areas where it starkly transitions from one area type to another. It's it's all of this like it's it's fine to experiment and to do silly things with these old games. But I, it, it irks me that there seems to be very little uh, counter to the narrative that the old games must be freed from their technical limitations, and that by showing more, you have created a better experience automatically. And so right. that is that is where I come from as like a, a perhaps stronger than necessary pushback of no, you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. That's that's why I'm ranting. That's my stuff. Okay. No, that's what, no. I and I understand that, and that's that's cool. Um, hmm. Yeah, because I'm just thinking. Because you think about it, if there's like, if there's a, a maze, like a lot of games have. There's the woods, and there's a maze, and it's like mm -hmm. if you zoom out, then you can clearly see the correct path. Then there's no trial and error to find the right way. You know, you, you, you don't, don't know get where the all the dead ends of, are. That they're supposed to give you that, like, oh, this yeah. is I'm lost, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> right. Um, actually, I had worked on a class project once, and we wanted to do like a top-down dungeon crawler, but we wanted it to be kind of futuristic. So we just borrowed assets from RPG Maker, but it yeah. was supposed to be space and futuristic. So we figured out how to program in like shooting a gun, basically. But there was this one level where there's just like fire and, and rocks everywhere. And I mean, I, I designed like... I pretty much designed half the levels, but this level was someone else designing it, and I understood the philosophy behind it, which is we used a very small viewing area so that you could only see a very small part of that level. And the idea was you had to, like, pay attention to the pattern. You could see fire blocks coming in and out, and you had to find the right path without walking into the fire and dying. And... So some of our classmates who had tested the game, because at the end of the semester, everybody submitted their projects. We all got to try each other's games, basically. And everybody who played it was like, oh, I, that level was too hard. I didn't know where to go. You know, I, I can't see far enough. And I'm like, well, that was the point. 
you're not supposed to see that far away. You know, you're supposed to die repeatedly until you find the correct path. And I and then and then I was like, I didn't say this, but in my head I'm like, well, I didn't design that level. <laughs> um, I I designed the uh, the ice level where I tried to copy what they do in Pokemon, where you step on the ice um, and just keep going forward till you hit a block. Yeah, that classic RPG style. And that was like, um, I really had a hard time doing acceleration and friction with the ice blocks. And I actually glitched the game and made it so the character moved too fast and, and clipped through the solid objects. And it's like, oh, okay, so yeah, game design is hard. Yeah, and so I respect I developers who... Like, I can respect developers wanting it to be a certain way. So yeah, I, I think I misunderstood the original premise, and now I, I better understand the point you were making yeah. and i do agree with it i i was just simply saying like oh well i don't want to play in four by three it's like but i don't expect every single old game to be updated to my specific standards either you know yeah, yeah. It's, it's a it's one of those things like i i guess the thing that i really just want is for people to like look at these as like the technical limitations existed and the developers were aware of them so they made games around them. and i i just like yeah, it's it's okay to make those changes because like you know it's whatever you know that's that is how things end up happening. But I do, I wish that more people would engage with games as like, why did they make these choices instead of yeah, oh it's an old thing that did a thing because of the like how did they work around their technical limitations? Not these technical limitations can go away, so we should. Remember. Um, yeah, and I was gonna say that's um that's pretty much like Nintendo in a nutshell, right? Is yeah, we don't have the most powerful hardware, but we make up for it with better art design, with more creative level design, with just making games fun. But I think that there there's something to be said for that too. That you know they developers work within the limitations that are there, but some of the best games are the ones that found creative ways around technical limitations. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. But yeah, so that, that, that was really like the, the broader point is just is just always sort of like you know try try to uh, and this is you know me just soapboxing about something most people already know you know just like try, try to engage with uh, games uh, at least but really any piece of art with the understanding of like the people making it understood how it would be perceived when they made it. And it's worth looking at, like, why they made those choices, given their circumstances. Yeah. Well, one day I just started thinking about Metroid, the original. And I would love to just understand the programming that went into that game, right? That because game is, that game is wild under the hood. It's a very strange game. Yes, because you you think about it like, yeah, it's it's open world, but, like... You notice how, like, so so with that game, I've often found myself thinking, well, gee, in the newer versions or, or the, the re-releases or the ports or whatever, why didn't they get rid of the sprite flickering? Why didn't they get rid of the frame rate slowdowns? Is that just a limitation of the hardware? But I got to thinking, I'm just like, well, okay, so we know that the game, like, it's an open world game, mm -hmm. but it's like, I'm thinking they must render each 
region as you enter it, right? Because you think of the RAM limitations of the system, you think of the processor limitations, and it's like if they render more than three characters per room, it slows down. So clearly they're not rendering those enemies when you're not in the room, right? And the enemies seem to reset mm -hmm. positions when you leave and come back. So yeah, I, I got to think... Into the... okay. Yeah. No, I, I just got to thinking, like, they obviously can't like, I don't think they would have had enough RAM to be able to put the entire map in there, so they must have close. separated it into regions and elevators for that reason. That's why you have those transitions. Those are basically loading screens. But then I thought, yeah, there's got to be a reason why enemies enemies must just be... Like, the objects must be created when you enter the room and then destroyed when you exit the room. Because otherwise, I don't see how it could be running at the frame rate it does you know, all of the yeah, time. You should, go, you should go looking at some of the weird uh, bugs that people use to get around to speedrun Metroid, because you can see how, it, like, you can get a better idea of how it fits together based on, like, some of the weird things that happen when you do screen well, transitions in a way that game right, you Right at the start of the game, you can screen wrap right into Kraid's Lair, which I've done, but I don't have the skill to actually mm -hmm. make any progress there. <laughs> At that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the sort of thing that makes it clear what kinds of clutches exist to make the game function. The other thing I would say about original Metroid... Uh, not originally a cartridge game. Uh, right. So a, a yeah. lot of its choices are disk system choices. Right, because I played the Japanese version and I'm like, wait a minute, I can actually save my game? What? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like no. you, you said, like oh, the elevators are basically loading screens. They are basically nothing. They are literally loading screens in the <laughs> Yeah, and and then I, I got to thinking about how, like, how you have like, well, you've got all the blocks, but some blocks are not solid. You can pass through them. Some blocks are destroyed when you shoot them and then recreated. But like, the wave beam passes through solid objects, but doesn't get destroyed in the process whereas your regular beam if it hits a solid object it'll stop you know and then you yeah. have to shoot another one and then you look at the way that the ice beam functions and it's like well that must have been an interesting piece of programming because okay so there's collision detection between the bullet and the enemy so the bullet's destroyed mm -hmm. when it touches the enemy and then they get frozen and turned blue and they turn solid so that you can stand on top of them without taking damage it's like how the hell did they figure that out back in in the 86 or 85 or whatever wild it's an 87 game but yeah it was definitely okay like, it's 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 definitely a game that uh a lot of work went into i think one of my favorite god i think i've mentioned this one before but it's still extremely funny have you ever looked up uh where the name metroid actually came from metro and android right yep metro android because the map sort of looked like a metro map and the character looked like an android. Yep. And but but I what I didn't well the other thing is uh Ridley is inspired mm -hmm. by Ridley Scott and I think the game was heavily inspired by Alien. Oh I definitely. Yeah. Okay. And of course the the you know fact that Samus is a woman like being a a choice that was very specifically made both it reflects uh Ripley, but it also uh, is one of those choices where, like, you can tell that uh, it, it's fascinating to me because uh, 
it was very specifically the the assumption of Samus's male is a choice made uh, like not just in the English manual where it's very hard to uh, describe someone without listing some sort of pronoun yeah but the Japanese manual where it's it's very easy in Japanese to refer to someone without ever actually assigning a pronoun to them and make it it's all con it's all contextual yeah. Yeah, but the Japanese manual goes out of its way to address Samus's mail a few times, just oh, to make okay. the ending a shock. <laughs> yeah, because I want to say there was a line in the American manual that just hints at the bounty hunter having some kind of secret. Yeah. Yeah, they, they reference that Samus has some sort of secret, but they also very specifically like use masculine uh, pronouns to refer to Samus in, in, just to you know, surprise the player at the end. Yeah, so what I found interesting is it's progressive in the sense that it has a female protagonist, but it's misogynistic in the sense that the faster you beat it, the less clothes she has on in the ending. Yeah. Uh, two steps forward, one step back. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. Well, that, was, that was a fun rant to go on, so thanks for uh, offering some yeah. interesting kind yeah, no, I, I thought that was cool. I thought we had a good discussion on that, and yeah. um, and, and I, but then I love talking about old like NES games. Of just thinking like Miyamoto is a fucking wizard, you know. Like even if you go back and play just Super Mario Brothers, it's like how the hell did they program the physics, the friction, the jump so. height, the acceleration? It's like how did they like do that? It's amazing. It's yeah. a great little. Uh, a great little interview that I saw like a translator. I feel terrible about this, but they were uh, talking. It was an old uh, interview uh, about the original Donkey Kong. Uh, I forget where this was. I know. I know at least where I remember seeing it uh, retweeted uh, by uh, uh, Chris Fowler, a guy who works at Digital Eclipse. Uh, working on like uh, really like historic re-releases of old games, but I know that he retweeted it a few uh, a few days ago. But it was an interview about uh, the original Donkey Kong, and there's some fascinating tidbits that are in that. Uh, originally, that game was going to assign up to jump, oh. uh, because they wanted to make the controls as simple as possible. They wanted it to be simple, presumably like Pac, where it's like, oh, there's just uh, there's just the directions, and it's it's very intuitive. But ultimately, they came to they end up uh, coming to the conclusion that they they need to have a button, and so that button becomes jump. And you see that repeating throughout the design of the. If you go look at the design documents for the original Super Mario Brothers, they also that that also originally had up and jump because they want that simple control scheme. They're, they're really trying to make sure that games are as simple as possible to approach. And that's, it's fascinating to imagine someone being like, uh, having to press a button is too complicated. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's even funnier when you look at, um, when you when you look at the Super Mario Brothers design document and information around it, because the reason that they chose not to have up B jump was uh, in part uh, because originally the way that it worked was that one of the buttons threw fireballs, and one of the buttons ran, and up jump 
And the problem was that that made it so that you could just be constantly running and spamming fireballs at all times. Yeah. And so they united uh, fireball and run on the same button, so that if you were running, you were kind of defenseless, even though you were moving. And to make well, that to at a least... decision, you had to make. Right, you had to at least take your button, take your finger off the button to hit it again if you wanted to shoot while running. Yeah, yeah like they they made it a decision that you had. Right. And that's it's oh, fascinating yeah. to think of in those terms. But uh, the thing is, when I was like four or five years old, I was yeah. able to jump on the Goombas and and my mother was like, "How are you so good at this?" You know, it, it's kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would watch people. Much. I would watch people walk right into that first Goomba and die, and I'm like, "Well, why didn't you just jump on top of it?" They're like, "Well, I, 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 I couldn't. I, I don't know." <laughs> you know? Wow. How do I time this? How would I know? But yeah, I'm like, there's, there's a lot of things you just sort of have to get used to when you're getting when you're starting playing games. Farmrunners coming here says counterpoint though. Which game is considered too old and primitive to be considered solely a historical curiosity? Uh, which uh, I mean, you just talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I was going to say, we did just talk about Xanadu, a game that is fascinating and historically interesting, but by, by as far as I can tell, it's impossible to play. Um, I think yeah, all those old, of the next... I think the text-based games are awful, like Zork, and I, I can't play those fucking games. I find them fascinating, they're not for me, but I can imagine the person who would play them. <sighs> You're all going to get Whereas <laughs> when I when I look at something like Xanadu or I'd Light, which is also coming to Switch as a Project Egg game, uh, it's 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 nearly impossible for me to find the kind of person who can put on the right mindset to play them in this day and age without like severely looking entire looking at them. Essentially, you have to be fascinated by them as a historical object rather than a playable game. And I think it's okay for a game to just be a historical object. Like sometimes that happens. Yeah. And, like, I'd be interested in seeing someone try to remake uh, Hyde Lied or Xanadu or whatever into being something you would play now, but I, I would still want original Xanadu to look and play like it does. But, yeah. Uh, oh, that's the other thing that's fascinating. Have you ever played uh, Legacy of the Wizard as a child? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. If you that's play Xanadu... If you play Xanadu, it's suddenly a lot of its choices like, oh, that's where that team sits. Okay. Fireman is virtual hide light, though? Question mark. Virtual hide light fucking is, is so fucking dumb, and I love it. Uh, <laughs> because it is... Like, I love virtual hide light because it is the epitome of a game that looks like a fake game that shows up in the background of a television show from 1996. That's specific. It's because you you've got these digitized sprites and a completely incomprehensible but entirely generic fantasy world, and you're running around getting murdered, and it looks horrible because that's how all fake games on television shows look. But it also looks profoundly cheap in the same way that fake games on television shows looked. <laughs> It has it, it gives off vibes as though it came out of another dimension. That's why I love virtual highlight, even though it is fucking horrible. 
Uh, also, important highlight canon note: the protagonist of Highlight is his name Jim. His name what? Jim. Jim. Yeah, he's just named Jim. <laughs> What's your opinion of? Lied. What is your opinion of a boy in his blob? That game sucks, but I also find it fascinating because A Boy and His Blob is a game that makes so much more sense when you look at it and it's like, this is an NES game made by a bunch of people who were making Atari games. <laughs> uh, because it, it was made by a bunch of former Atari devs. And okay. the kinds of things you see in late-era Atari games, like when you're getting to like Raiders of the Lost Ark or uh, Pitfall 2, these things that are like we're making more complex games that are just as inscrutable. But by dint of being more complex, their inscrutability becomes a greater barrier to entry. A boy in his blob has that vibe in space. <laughs> yes. Totally. And then all the fucking abilities are just shitty puns that only make sense if you were sitting there and thinking if you were sitting there and thinking with the exact mindset of the original developers. How do I get through? How do I get through this uh, thin area? Well, you use the punch, jelly bean, because it, it punches a hole. Tangerine um, trampoline. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but yeah. In conclusion, everyone should play the way forward. A boy in a slot game. That game's horrible. Yeah, that game's cool. Yeah, it's a hot button. You can hug the blob. 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 Nothing moves the blob. Um, <laughs> Nothing moves the And then you move him with your special attack. He's alive. You gotta. Yeah. All right. So it yeah. is now 1.30 a.m. here on the East Coast, so I'm going to hop off. Yeah. I'll 1.30 a.m. you. So, Everyone go okay. check your Twitch and YouTube channels at Smoking Joe yeah, watch my stuff, damn it. Buy my, Buy my book. book. Buy my <laughs> I'm not look, I'm not interested in money or fame. I just want to be one of those people who gets free copies of stuff before everyone else does. <laughs> that is my only motivation to be on YouTube. That's, that's, that's <laughs> a noble dream. <laughs> so alright guys. I'll Good see you. Night. Yeah, uh, I would like to hit some of the questions that we have in the big list because that's we've been doing so well, but we don't actually—I don't actually have it in front of me. Oh no! Uh, I call on extenuating questions. It's fine. This is just going to hallucinate any questions. Yes. Which Ninja Turtle is the raddest, coolest dude? That's my plan. Okay. That's my client. All, right. All right, that's the boring question. Then. <laughs> that's why he's the last Ronin, too. Sure. He's actually the last Ronin. He's the youngest. That feels like the most accurate. Like, because he's the youngest and theoretically the one with the most potential. Yeah. So, you're going to have one surviving turtle that has to be him. We still have Discord questions from last time. Oh, are you going to make me pick up Discord? Do it, Wills. Do it. Uh, RP Gamer. Go, go. 
Big developers cosplaying as indie studio on the wake of the. We day. did that last week. Oh fuck! Related to the previous question, something about early access games. Do we do that already? Yeah, we we've been going down these. In, in okay, uh, something we did media literacy thingy sounds familiar. Uh, there's a discussion has been making the rounds on some garbage social media site that shall remain nameless uh, about ironic visual novels the the like of KFC dating sims visual novel fans questions why there have been so many ironic visual novels from western developers that poke fun at the medium while also shows little awareness of the genre it's almost like they think dating sims are the only type of visual novel or is it simply a case of follow the leader after Doki Doki Literature Club I would actually say it's follow the leader after Hot Tofu Boyfriend but uh, these, these things these things are doesn't uh, I feel like it, it is to some extent like a lot of these like the the good ones, the ones that have legitimately been interesting or funny come from people who have an understanding of visual novels as a scene as an and as a medium. And the bad ones are a combination of follow the leader and people who aren't actually familiar with visual novels, reading them as though like, they understand them, and it's like, oh, I, I know what this is, so I can parody it. It's, it's, you know, this, it's this, you know, shallow understanding of it. It's like, oh, this is dumb and stupid. And you don't actually know these or what they do, and it shows because you just end up producing something that looks like a regurgitation of other parodies. Very tedious. <laughs> um, as it turns out, if something is worth parodying, it's worth understanding beforehand, and that means research. And research is hard. I really know nothing yeah. about visual novels other than the ones I've tried to play. Don't like at all. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it is a genre slash medium with a rich history uh, across many different developers and many different genres uh, the much of the english perception of it is just dating sims and porn games fun fact a lot of the uh dating visual novels as we understand them actually bear very little resemblance to the things that were initially described as dating sims like tokimaki memorial which is a hardcore uh mostly uh, a game about very studious uh, planning and stack grinding. <laughs> but uh, the subject matter ended up defining the Western perception of dating sim much more than the actual uh, mechanics, which underneath it are actually quite complicated. Yeah. 
Do we want to head another? Yeah, let's see. Every game bleeds its player number a month after launch, but is it more worrying with the game meant to be played for over 100 hours, aka Starfield? Why doesn't Starfield have that connection with the player like Skyrim? Uh, I mean, we'll see who it's connected with over time. Yeah. Like, it's, it's one of those things that, like, in the perception of people who are hardcore into uh, who are hardcore into RPGs in general, uh, we would perceive essentially every Bethesda game since Skyrim to be on some level of it, it because they to us, are less sticky than something like Skyrim was. But there's an entire subculture of people that still playing Fallout 4, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. And, like, you know, they, they, there aren't as many of them as people playing Skyrim, which is still, their, to my understanding, their best-selling game, but... I think Starfield's going to have the same thing. There's like a hardcore people that are still playing it, and will like it'll keep drawing people back every time they do an expansion yeah. it or they update the creation kit. But it's it's one of those things that like we have a very skewed perception about how these land. And from what I can tell, uh, despite being on Game Pass and thus under like kneecapping its own sales in a heavy fashion. Starfield is still one of the best-selling games of the year. <laughs> it's still selling quite well. Um, kind of tells um, you all you need to know, really. Yeah, like it's one of those things that, like, our our crowd doesn't care. It, it did not connect with a lot of people in our crowd, but I've met people that that do genuinely love it. Like, I do know people who are genuinely just like, "Oh, I love this. I played this for a hundred hours, and I can I know I'll come back to it later." And, you know, that's, it, they, they are seeking something different from it than what we would. And I think it's kind of built for that audience, perhaps more than the Skyrim audience. And I think that because there's so much mechanical and UI overlap, there's an assumption that it was built for the Skyrim audience. But I think it was really built for the people for whom that's kind of the only thing they play. Mm. I, I, I genuinely believe that, that might be where some of that disconnect is coming. Makes sense. Let's see the follow-up here. In other words, why does Bethesda insist on the design flow in that you can ex experience almost everything and just play two playthroughs? It keeps insisting to be an immersive CRPG then you better make it so every choice leads to new things, a.k.a. BG3 and the Outer Worlds. I don't so understand the question. I understand. No, I think I get what Fireminder's getting at, and I understand the thought process. But realistically, that, that was kind of always how the, the majority of the Elder Scrolls was. Like, you, you would have multiple endings, sometimes a lot of endings, uh, in, like if you go back all the way to like Daggerfall, maybe it's like seven exclusive, mutually uh, exclusive endings. But in general, like they were always built for the content. They were always built for you can join like all the factions. You can become head of every faction in basically all of them. That is just how they go. I think maybe in Morrowind you might not be able to, but in general, like 
the ones that sold to non-hardcore players were content tourist games. You go, you go around, and you can, in one maybe two playthrough stops, you can, you can see everything because it's like. So, so there's a lot of reasons to do this. One, for something like the Outer Worlds, it made sense to have these branches because the Outer Worlds is, for this kind of game, actually quite short. Like it's not a short game by any means, but like you can you can blaze through the main story of the Outer Worlds in like 25 hours. I feel like yeah. And so, one of the ways to stretch that content, like because choices and consequences. Uh, as a design philosophy is a content stretching design philosophy because you make it so 90% of that quest is the same. Everyone goes through the same area. It's just at the end you make a choice and you see that reflected in a way where like some writing can call back to it. But ultimately, most of the content was the same, but the player feels the it can feel the compulsion to go through it again because they want to see the other version of that. And most of it will be the same. It's it's just a end point. It's just how it can resolve that determine that it has changed. And so you've got a lot of bang for your buck out of that relatively small amount of content uh, compared to how, how much time the player actually spent in it. And like that, that is a core concern with choices and consequences. And but what you know, like what Bethesda shoots for is you you wander around and the experience of wandering and finding the content is the greater point than to have a strong element of player choice. And there's also just the fact that a lot of players don't actually want to be making like consequential cataclysmic choices, especially players who are just playing casually like these, or the, or just, again, playing for content tourism reasons. I don't want to lock myself out of things because I made a choice, because I came here to see everything. And that's that's how a lot of people approach this. It's it's not that one idea is better than the other, but they're, they're serving different audiences. And, you know, as much as a lot of you know, like I like I love Baldur's Gate three. A lot of people love Baldur's Gate three. It's an intimidating game to even contemplate trying to see uh, different versions of the story because it's like, okay, so I'm devoting like a bare minimum fifty hours to a playthrough. That just that that is not a practical ask to have for a lot of people. Uh, mo- most people are going to see one version of the story. And that's, you know, it's, it's really cool that two people could talk about the game and have just completely conflicting experiences because of the choices they made. But, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not the only worthwhile philosophy for how to approach that. There, there's, there's multiple, I, I think it's an unfair, uh, unfairly limiting way to look at things, to look at things in a sense. This, uh, this should have consequential cataclysmic choices as an inherent good compared to a linear uh, story or a content source approach. They're, they're serving different audiences using some of the same ingredients. Oh, Fire Miner. And I think that. 
asks as a follow-up, if every Bethesda game is made for content tourists, then how do you explain high sales of ports, aka people buying Skyrim on multiple platforms year after year? Same reason you explain people going on vacation the same place twice. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes people just want to go back and see it all again. I think that fundamentally you come back and you look at something and it's like, the if, if if it was a problem that the game was going to be the same, basically the same every time, they wouldn't keep coming back to it. They wouldn't play it. They, they wouldn't be buying it again. But if people love that first experience, they'll want to go back. I mean, it's the same reason that, you know, a lot of us, like myself certainly included, go back and replay old Japanese RPGs. Mm -hmm. that, you know, you play it again, fundamentally there's not that much different, but you do it because it's fun. It's fun to experience it again. And, you know, some of those people, maybe they, like, they haven't played it in a few years, they've forgotten a bunch of what's in it. Or they, uh, there's, you know, they, they've forgotten what's in it, or they missed something the first time, because there's a lot of stuff in there. There always is part of it. And, you know, the... The fundamental philosophy, as flawed as I think it is in Starfield, of okay, so there's a bunch of handcrafted content, there's also a bunch of randomly generated content, is to try to sort of muddy those waters and create that situation where it's like, did I not find this? Or is this prop gen? And I think that someone who plays the game enough is always going to be able to tell the difference. But in general, to, the, to that content tourist player, maybe it's enough, you know, to come back to it and see something a little different this time. I, I, I think that there is a very clear design philosophy behind this. And I, I think if, even if I disagree with how they went about it, I understand why they did what they did. And I understand why Starfield is the game that it is. But I also think that it's, it's causing people who were getting something it, it, like certainly certain aspects that uh, allowed certain audiences that are more into hardcore RPGs to gel with the Elder Scrolls and certain older Bethesda games uh, come into conflict with this other audience that they that they try to serve now. And, you know, maybe there's a better way to balance between the concerns of those two audiences. But I do think that it's, it's reasonable to pursue this audience who wants this weird, like, wander around a fantasy or sci-fi setting and just sort of stumble upon things and uh you know maybe they don't super care about like a broader narrative they just want to wander around and find things i, I think that's a reasonable audience to serve mm. any thoughts on your own wins no not really <laughs> Sorry, I really uh, talk your ear off. No, that's fine. You've made all the points. You literally made all the points. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. I'm just looking at some of the some of the other questions. See if we can squeeze in one more. Yeah, one uh, more question. Talked about people who care about the lore and world building of Fallout and the Elder Scrolls. Why do you think these people are easily confused by the volume of the world building and the quality of the world building? Why is that you can just keep throwing things 
at the wall and pad out your Wikipedia articles, and then people still lap it up. I'm a big fan of 40k, and I'll be the first to admit that the world building of 40k is not that great. But at least it hits emotional heights more oftenly. I mean, just I think because the world building isn't great doesn't necessarily mean it's not something that someone can enjoy. Yeah, the, the way I would describe it is the world can be fun, even if it's not very constructed. And in fact, being poorly constructed can help someone to feel more attached to it, because the way that you uh, interpret a world to be more palatable to you makes it more personal to you. Like, when you decide, I don't like this, so this is how it works in my head, you've taken something away from that world and put something of your own into it, which makes you more attached to it than if it just was a perfect clockwork machine that you could understand. And the, the other aspect is that a lot of what people like in world building is essentially minutiae. It's, it's stuff that it's like, oh, this is like something off the side that doesn't really matter, but it's interesting that it was brought up. And that sort of thing is, uh, is often really the thing that people love. They love, they love seeing like little things that they didn't expect to hear get brought up. And uh, I, I think that on, on some level, it's, it's worth just understanding that like those those things being brought together by personal interpretation and uh like people's just general love of learning things that they didn't expect to have been thought of in world when you put all of those things together you get a web of uh, personal interpretation that draws someone to feel more attached to the world even though by by rights, it means that the world was less thought out. Uh, but it means that it gave them space to think it out and to make that world kind of their own. And I think that that, that, draw, that attaches people in a very real way. Which is why, you know, to, to bring it to 40k, like anyone who has a favorite, me or a, you know, favorite group has you know, strong opinions about how that group has been written and probably has, like, entire codexes that they don't like thinking about. But that, that, that version of them that you don't like increases your attachment to that version of them that you do. And, you know, I, I think that that's pretty normal for people. And so you look at something like Fallout and it's, there's probably at least one game uh, if you're hardcore into there's probably at least one, probably two, maybe three games that you straight up won't acknowledge. Or you'll only acknowledge with heavy asterisks. And you'll take bits and pieces out of them. And you get attached to that version of the lore that only really exists in your head. Uh, and, you know, that means something. Uh, that would be what I would say. Makes sense. <laughs> uh, it's getting pretty late, so we should probably call it a night. We should. I'm tired.
Yeah. Uh, let's let's quickly bring up. Uh, you should read uh, Gaijin's books. They are uh, Princesses of the Peace Parlor, available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited, or in free format in uh, baffling uh, sale prices, uh, oftentimes. Uh, but yeah, you should read those. Uh, you can find them by looking like Yari Mizu. If you want to enjoy the fun of a uh, tabletop RPG uh, stream or podcast, but with more character development and probably more sympathetic people behind the wheel, uh, you can give that a look. Uh, there are uh, plenty of them, but if you must wait and get them cheaper, there should be an author's birthday sale sometime in the coming month. Uh, you can catch uh, streams like dear friend uh, Tam often does for RP Gamer, along with the rest of the RP Gamer crew. That happens, uh, you know, most more often than not. At least most days, there will be uh, one stream or another going. So you give that a look. Check through the vods. You'll find someone that uh, it's it's just right for your RPG tastes. Uh, you can ask us questions. Uh, normally, I would be checking uh, the chat. I had to defer that to wheels because uh, my computer is a little banged up at the moment. Can I, working on our place be here in a week or so. But, um, uh, but yeah, you can ask us questions in the chat if you catch us streaming, which happens at 9 p.m. Pacific and 9 Eastern on Thursdays. Uh, you can also ask us uh, questions via the comments section in RP Gamer or Discord. If you aren't in, if you aren't in the RP Gamer Discord, you can go to uh, rpgamer.com and click the community tab. There's uh, it's a lovely community and totally worth your time, even if you don't want to ask us questions. We appreciate it. If you want to the podcast section, the Discord will ask questions like here. Uh, otherwise, you can also catch our other show, Sunday Night Shenanigans, typically, which typically runs at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern on Sunday nights. Uh, Sunday going into Monday, I should say. Um, it's, uh, we had a great time last week. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, supporting probably the most positive shenanigans we've ever had. We just all playing sharps in the second story are. Yeah. I mean, usually, usually we play games quote-unquote together, but actually playing like a single-player game at the same time with actually a really cool experience, and uh, I think we'll do that. Yeah, we should do that more often. often. Just a a fun way to sort of compare what we're doing live in a a game that we're all enjoying. It's good times. We'll have to do that. But yeah, so so catch us on that. We'll probably do uh, at least, you know, sometime the next they do at least one more. Hey, let's all play Second Story R. So yeah. I mean, we'll just do that Otherwise, for the Christmas Eve stream because I can't find any good multiplayer Christmas games. Or we'll just play a little Cthulhu Saves Christmas, too. Good idea. Good idea. We can, we can work it out. But otherwise, I think that wraps it up. So see you, Space Cowboys. See ya.